May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning. It is good to be home. I am so grateful to Father Trent and Elaine and everyone else uh, who held down the fort while I was gone. Uh, first on vacation, but then uh, for a funeral, funeral last week up in South Carolina. So uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, we're still early in the new year, of course, but we are just a few weeks away from the Winter Olympics. Anybody else as excited as I am, I can tell you I love the Olympics. I can watch uh, speed skating and curling and luge all day, once every four years, uh, because it's the Olympics. That's, that's, that's the only reason. Uh, I uh, imagine also that in the broadcast coming up uh, in a few weeks, that they are going to, at least a couple of times, look back to that event 42 years ago in the 1980 Lake Placid Games. One of the most famous moments in all of Winter Olympic history What is that? The miracle on ice. The miracle on ice. You remember just two weeks before uh, this historic game, our team of American amateur hockey players were crushed by the mighty Soviet professionals 10-3 on home ice in Madison Square Gardens. And it was a warm-up game for the Olympics. It didn't count for anything except it really set the expectation. Nobody gave the Americans a chance in the Olympic tournament at all, much less against the Soviets. But after a couple of surprising wins, they found themselves against all expectations in the medal round, facing the hated enemy of the Cold War, the USSR. The five-time defending gold medal champion. And you know the story was tied 3-3 three to three in the final period. Five seconds remaining. The U.S. scored. The crowd went wild. And Al Michaels made that famous call. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! It's an incredible story. Sports story. But was it a miracle? Actually, I doubt that Al Michaels meant that God reached his hands down and made the U.S. score that goal, put the puck in the net. Though I am sure that some people made that claim at the time. He probably only meant that it was amazing, that it was remarkable, that it was surprising. I'm not here to say it was one way or the other. I was six. Don't remember it. But the question is a good one. Do you believe in miracles? And we throw that word around a lot, sort of like Al Michaels did. We talk about a miraculous catch in the end zone. Not much around Jacksonville, but, but still we might. If a doctor is really, really good at his job we, or her job, we might call that doctor a miracle worker. When your teenager comes, the first time you call them, you might say it's a It's a miracle. But do we actually believe that God sometimes 
in those instances has reached down his hand and uh, affected the situation for the good. If not in those situations, in any situation. Do you believe in miracles? We're going to take a look at the gospel passage that Father Trent just read, and we're going to ask that question, but, but I think we're going to ask a couple other questions too. The burden of the gospel passage is, what is the purpose of miracles? What's the point? And we might well ask too, should I ever expect to see a miracle? A wedding at Cana is a famous passage. And, and really, the, uh, Jesus turning water to wine is, is almost proverbial, isn't it? I mean, it's one of my go-to jokes if I'm at a dinner party and I've got a glass of wine. Oh, the pastor's got a glass of wine. And you know, like, well, it was water before I put it in there. You know, like, everybody gets the joke. It's just a joke. You know, everybody gets it because we know the story so well. Jesus has just barely begun uh, his ministry. He only had a few followers at this point. He's in a wedding near where he grew up, maybe a family friend. And, and, and so Jesus' blessed mother calls to his attention that the host has run out of wine for the party. And Jesus seems pretty hesitant at first, and then he makes 150 gallons of exquisite Cabernet. The miracle is amazing. But you know what I find maybe even more amazing? Is that no one but the servants knew it happened. No one knew. The master of the feast, a little confused as to why they would have waited so long to bring out the good stuff. But the party goes on. The family has been saved from a little embarrassment. No one's the wiser. There's no dramatic music. Around this miracle, no, oh, no, like lightning from the sky, no thunder. Uh, we're not told that there is anything magical or special about this wine except that it was delicious. No one at the party, other than, other than the, dis, the servants and then the disciples, seems to know that Jesus has performed a miracle. It's kept quiet. And everything about the party seems perfectly normal until you realize what's happened. Do you believe in miracles? I do. I believe that God works actively in our world today, and I believe that He usually works slowly through natural processes. But sometimes, every now and then, He intervenes in a way that we might call miraculous. It's actually probably far more than we realize because miracles are usually kept quiet. A seminary professor of mine uh, told our class about a time before he was ordained when he had been serving as a youth minister. And he uh, and one of his kids in the youth group were in the hospital, so he went to go visit. And when he was there on the way to the room, he saw another kid that he knew. He hadn't expected to see this kid there. Was, this is a kid on the, on the periphery. They knew him. He tried to get him to come to, to church, but he never could get him to come. I think, his, I think if I remember it right, his name was, his name was James. But James had broken his leg. And it, 
the family was waiting to be seen. It was, it was a bad break. The kind of break where like the thigh is moving in the middle. Like it's just not supposed to move that way. Just ugly, ugly break. Can't put any weight through it at all. And my professor, you know, he come to see somebody else. So he just wanted to care for him. He said, just, you know, let me pray real quick for you. Lord, in the name of Jesus, please heal James' leg. And amen. Off he went to see the student. Well, uh, he came back through on the way to the car and noticed there was some, a little commotion in James's room. He said, poked his head back in. They were whites. They'd just gotten the x-ray results back and there was no break. The thigh was healthy and strong, not moving in the middle anymore. And so what I mean when I say that miracles are, are quiet is... James didn't know what had happened. It didn't, he didn't feel any sort of magic tingle, uh, warm sensation, heard no angels singing, uh, and neither did my professor when he prayed the prayer. Everything just seemed normal until they got the x-ray results back. And then there was a commotion. It was a miraculous Healing. The kid had a broken leg. Then somebody prayed in the name of Jesus. No more broken leg. And it freaked James out. Because now he's got to deal with the epiphany. He's got to deal with the now incontrovertible fact that God is real and is uh, interested in him and is active in his life. And eventually, though not immediately, James put his faith in Christ. The miracle led to faith. This is what happens in our gospel passage too. When the disciples realized what had happened, the water became wine, they believed in Him. And that, I think, is what our passage is conveying to us. What is the purpose of of miracles, John tells us that this was the first time that Jesus had manifested His glory and the disciples believed in Him. A miracle is for faith. The purpose of the miracle is not amazement. It is not entertainment, certainly. It's not uh, even to prove that Jesus can do it or for the benefit of the miracle, though there certainly is benefit. The purpose of the miracle is to testify that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is God to manifest His glory so that we may put our faith in Him. And to this point, notice that John doesn't even use the word miracle when he talks about Jesus turning the water into wine. He uses the word sign. He says, this, Jesus did this, the first of His signs, in Cana at Galilee. Now what does a sign do? What well, directs us to something greater than itself. And, you know, Church of Our Savior, we have a beautiful sign. Right out on Mandarin Road. Mike, it's nice and clean for us. It's a beautiful sign. People see it as they're zooming past. But if someone wanted to come and visit Church of Our Savior... Because they'd seen the sign and they came and they got out of their car and stopped at the sign and went to the sign and sat down by the sign waiting for something to happen at the sign. We'd think they were crazy. 
Because the sign isn't the point. The sign directs us to the point. This is the point, not just the building, but this beautiful, wonderful fellowship. You are the point. This splendid worship that we have is the point. The sign says there's something incredible down there. Go there. The sign isn't the point. The sign directs us to the point. The miracles aren't the point. The miracles direct us to the point. Jesus is the point. Jesus is the point. They, the miracles direct us to Jesus so that we may place our faith in Him. And I think that one of the reasons that visible, physical miracles are usually just so quiet and frankly so rare is that they're not the point. They direct us to the point. Because the point is Jesus and His glory and our faith in Him. And I admit to you that most of the time where we put water in a jar, it stays water, doesn't it? We break a leg, we put it in a cast, and it's going to heal up in a few weeks. Many, many times I have prayed for people to be healed of cancer or some other illness, and many times the cancer has been healed, not all the time. But I don't think the ever, ever that the cancer has just disappeared. I've heard of things like that happening, but to my knowledge, not by my prayers. I have seen what I believe are miracles. I've told you about some of those things in other other sermons, but I have no idea why God chooses to act when He does or why God chooses to act how He does. There is no harnessing God's will to act in this way. A lot of asking. No harnessing. And so you might well think, then, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to believe in miracles, but will I ever see one? You know, that's the second question. And let me assure you that you have seen miracles. Because remember, miracles are, they're, they're, seem normal until we realize what's happened. And sometimes we don't realize what's happened. People at the, the wedding at Cana saw a miracle. They just didn't know it. They're, the world that we live in, there's no telling what evils or tragedies have not befallen us. Because of the intervening and loving hand of God. We just don't have eyes to see it. Let me ask you. And I, I promise, I'm asking myself this as well. When we're praying for a miracle, are we after the wine? Or are we after the winemaker? You know what I mean by that? Do we want the benefit or do we want the benefactor himself? This is the question, really, that has arrested me all week thinking about this passage. If I'm praying for something, do I just want the miracle or do I want the miracle maker? John tells us that the sign was a manifestation of Jesus' glory so that the disciples believed in Him. It's good and right to pray for the intervening hand of God, but let's get our hearts right are we after the benefit of the miracle or the glory of the miracle maker? I mean, sometimes I think if we have faith already that the faith, the, 
The growth in our faith, the faith is the point, the growth in our faith comes from trusting Him in the midst of the tragedy, not in the miracle. But let me assure you also that if you are here this morning with faith in Christ, then you are a miracle. You're a miracle. See, we're fallen creatures. We are self-centered. We are prideful. We are sinful. And none of us would ever have chosen to follow Jesus apart from His intervening hand. Just as Jesus took ordinary water and turned it into extraordinary wine, He has taken ordinary oil you and turned you into His extraordinary child. Christian, you are a miracle. I mean, if you have faith to cling to Christ when the world around you seems to be falling apart, if you have faith to believe that a man dying on a cross 2,000 years ago on another continent can expunge your sin record before God, if you have faith to believe that God raised that man from the dead in order to give us all eternal life with Him, let me ask you, where does that faith come from? It comes from the intervening hand of God. You're a miracle. And it doesn't feel like that to us, does it? It feels natural. It feels like we've made that choice or we've decided. It's easy to miss. It's quiet. But it's not natural. It's supernatural. You're a miracle. God is active in your life. He has given you faith as a manifestation of His glory. So will you ever see a miracle? Let me tell you, you're a miracle. Look in the mirror. You know what that also means, though? You're a sign. You're a sign. You're not the point. You and me, we are to direct others to the point. The point is Jesus. We direct others beyond ourselves to one much greater, to Jesus Christ. So you're a miracle. You're a sign. I have to tell you, I have no idea if God intervened in the 1980 Olympics. I do believe in miracles. And I believe that God takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary all around us all the time. And I pray that we would have eyes to see it and the faith to believe it as a manifestation of His glory. Amen.